Good, beautiful day, everybody. Welcome. Hey, Edgar, glad to have you with us. And Lewis, and we've got uh, Cliff and Teresa today on Facebook. Or is it, Ter yeah, it is Teresa. Good, Ed, good, good. Hey, Megan, glad to have you with us. Good morning, Jordan. We are continuing to think through God's word together, in particular, Paul's letter to the Romans. And we are in this thick section of Romans 5. Hey, Dale. And I can tell it's starting to click for some of you through your comments, through your chats. For some of you, maybe it's still a little, little bit messy. And I know there's at least a couple of you that are still reading through the lens of presuppositions you are bringing to the text. So I'm going to continue to try to break those presuppositions down and force you, Edgar, I'm going to force you stick to the text. Now, as I told you before, we have to get in the habit, or maybe I should say it the other way, we should get out of the habit of interpreting these texts in light of everything else we know from the New Testament, for instance. Paul wrote to the Romans, we don't know if they had any other letters in the New Testament. We know they are familiar with the Old Testament, but we don't know if they knew anything else. We have to keep it in its context. There's an argument being made all the way through here. That is what should drive our interpretation. So picking up chapter five, verse nine, to catch some of the context here, much more than having been declared righteous now by his blood. You and I, Paul's telling the Romans, we've been declared righteous by the blood of Jesus. The fact that that's true, we will be saved through Jesus from the wrath. What wrath, Paul? What are you talking about? He's talking about death, not hell not some other form of judgment, the wrath of chapter 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 is physical death. And we're going to be saved from that wrath through Jesus. For if being enemies, we have been reconciled to God, we are now friends with him through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we will, future tense, be saved by his life. And we'll continue to look at that whole, whoops, uh, look at that all. Uh, sorry, I'm getting distracted because my technology is not doing right. Okay, uh, so it's all death. Let me show you again to chapter eight where we're going. Remember I told you yesterday, this is not a good translation. There is then now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. That's not what it says. What it says is condemnation Therefore, now is nothing. What is the condemnation that is nothing? Death. Death. The condemnation that is ours because of Adam, chapter 5, that's nothing for those in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of 
the life in Christ Jesus did set me free from the law of sin and of the death. Because of the spirit and life in Christ, Paul says, I am set free from the law of sin and of death. That's the old covenant law. We'll come back. We'll look at that in the, in the, in the future. But saying I'm set free from death now. Death is not the end. Then he goes on and talks about some more things that we will eventually look at. But notice where he goes here a little bit later. If Christ is in you, the body indeed is dead because of sin. And the spirit is life because of righteousness. Some of your translations translate that. In fact, let me just pull it up here. NAS says, the spirit is alive. And ESV says, spirit, oh, it does get it right. The spirit is life. That's, that's what it says in the Greek. Spirit is life. Life from the dead because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who did raise up Jesus from the dead doth dwell in you. Oops, that's a young literal. He who raised up the Christ out of the dead will also quicken your dying bodies. Resurrection is where this is all heading. Resurrection, resurrection. So we got to keep that in context. That's what this whole thing is about. All right. So remember Paul is interacting with the question of if, if we're friends with God now and we're going to be saved from wrath, why, why do we die? What, why is there death in the world? And that's where he's going to take us here in chapter five. Because of this, even as through one man, sin entered into the world and through sin, death, and thus to all men, death passed through for all, uh, for that all sinned. All right. So I told you, this is a hard phrase here. And there are all kinds of different speculations. Now, someone uh, put in one of the comments, this could be translated for whom or upon whom. That's true, but I want to point out for those of you that can't read Greek, this word that's translated that, which could be translated whom, is singular. Men is plural. So the point cannot be, it cannot, grammatically, this cannot be the case that he means for all men sinned. The that, the whom, this word here cannot refer to men. You just have to trust me on that if you don't read Greek because it, grammatically it doesn't work. This has to agree with this in number if it's pointing to that. But even more so, even for those of you who don't read Greek, he's going to go on and make the point that it is Adam's sin not your sin that brings your death. That is the entire point here. Let me show you. All right, so he just made the statement that Adam's sin is what brought your death. Well, prove it, Paul. Okay, he says, for until law, sin was in the world. Till Moses... Sin was in the world. And sin is not reckoned when there is no law. So there was sin, but since there wasn't the law yet, those sins were not charged to their account. Now, like we saw in chapter four, don't, don't read an absolute universal statement here. He's not trying to build a systematic theology of law and sin and imputation. 
He's simply making a point. Those between Adam and Moses did not have a direct command from God. They were disobeying, which would bring their death. So they didn't sin like Adam. They sinned, but not like Adam or like the Jews under the law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. All those people died, even though they didn't disobey a direct command. Even on those having not sinned in the likeness of Adam's transgression. See? They sinned, but it wasn't like Adam's sin. They weren't breaking a specific law, and yet they died anyway. Death reigned. Why? Because Adam is a type of the one who's coming. Jesus. His action brought consequences, and Jesus' action brought consequences. But they're not the same. It's not a one-to-one. Not as the offense of Adam, so also is the free gift. That is not true. The offense is the same as the free free gift? No, not that. Not that. Peter says, the whom is Adam. Yeah, exactly. And his death and sin, stay with me, Peter. Your point that you made in the comment is, it cannot continue with what Paul says here, I don't think. Let me, let me see if I can get through this. Not like the offense and the free gift. That's not it. Four, if by the offense of the one, the many died, Adam's offense. Do you see that, Peter? That's what it says here. The offense of the one, Adam, the many died. Not because of their own sin, but Adam's sin. Stay with, don't, don't argue with me, just follow it through. Much more the grace of God and the free gift in grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. So how are the offense and the free gift not alike? Well, one led to many death because of judgment. What Jesus did is brought grace and it abounds to the many. And not as through one who sinned is the free gift. The one who sinned, Adam, and the free gift, they are not the same. How so? For judgment indeed is of one to condemnation. The one sin from the one who sinned, Adam, brought condemnation to all men. We die because of Adam. That's the point. There's nothing in here about individual sins of individual people. But the gift is not from one offense, but many offenses to a declaration of righteous. In other words, all of our actual sins were put on Jesus, and that's why we can be declared righteous. So Adam's one sin causes you to die. But all the sins of people are put on Jesus, and that's why he can declare you righteous. This is applying what he argued in chapter 4 and early chapter 5. And actually, I think chapter 3 may be the clearest of all. For if by the offense of the one, Adam, Death reigned through the one. 
much more those who are receiving the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness in or by life, I think this is Jesus' life, will reign through the one Jesus Christ. See that? So the one death, I'm sorry, the offense of the one, Adam. Death reigned through the one man, probably Adam. One, one man commits one sin, and now death reigned. Death is on the throne, killing everybody. Much more. Those who are receiving the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, because God now declares you righteous because of Christ, his life, we will reign through the one Jesus Christ. Now, isn't it interesting that death is the one who reigns because of Adam's sin? Here we reign. Those who are receiving the gift will reign. It's interesting. You and me, we're going to reign. We're going to triumph. We're going to be on the throne. We're going to displace death eventually. So then, as through one offense to all men, to condemnation. Let me read that again. Here's his conclusion. As through one offense, what is the one offense? Adam's sin. To all men, to condemnation, death. Paul could not have said this any plainer. He even took out the verbs. You see the, the it is is in brackets, indicating it's not in the original because it's not. He even takes out the verbs. Through one offense, Adam's disobedience. To all men, that's everybody, to condemnation, death. This is not our sin leading to condemnation. This is Adam's sin. So also, through one declaration of righteousness to all men, justification of life. This one declaration of righteous, this is a hard one. And you'll find it translated different ways. Uh, probably the most common translation is one righteous act, which fits the parallel probably the best. Through one offense, Adam's one sin, all men die. Now through one, what's the opposite of one offense? One act of righteousness. It's a form of the same word that is translated justification, that's why the literal here is translated declaration. But it's not exactly the same word. And in the parallel, it probably is Jesus' righteous act of going to the cross. Because that's what he's been saying all the way through. So his going to the cross brings justification. And that word is, is uh, that being declared righteous of life. So in Jesus' one act, we are declared righteous 
and we will not stay dead. For as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were constituted sinners. We saw that yesterday. You were now put in this, you know, I put quotes, square quotes, scare quotes, is that what they're called, around sinners, <laughs> which I shouldn't use the word scare quotes because it's not what's going on here. But you're, you're now, you are set into this position of sinners, not because of your own sin, but through the disobedience of the one man, so also through the obedience of the one, the many will be constituted righteous. You are now set in position of righteous. There go the balloons again. <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> is it, is there some gesture I'm doing? Is it the quotes? <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> Just a distraction. Dale says, isn't the sinned in verse 12, third person plural? Uh, isn't the sinned? Uh, yes. So what, what would that, uh, what would that indicate? I was talking about the, this word that uh, is a pronoun that could be whom it can be neuter or it can be masculine and some want to argue all sinned uh, upon whom meaning death passed through to all men because all sinned actually in themselves and that the whom here is describing uh, plurality of men so Peter's arguing that uh, Upon Adam all sinned. It's, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that makes a difference though. Uh, anyway, the rest of the point, the, the only thing that makes sense of the rest of the point is, and how many different ways does he say it? He says it in almost every verse here. One man's one act of disobedience brings death to all men. One man's act of obedience brings justification of life. It's all about representation here. You're going to die, not for your own sin, but because of Adam's. You're going to rise from the dead, not because of your own actions and your own righteousness, but because of Jesus's going to the cross. Make sense? All right. Um... Questions or comments now? We've got a few minutes here and I, I, won't, uh, I won't try to take us down a different path because our time is waning for today. Are you all seeing this? Does it make sense? Have I persuaded you that the idea that we're all born with a sinful nature is just not the argument here? Jordan says, according to this passage, I do not inherit a sinful nature from Adam. Correct. Well, nope, don't say it that way. <laughs> this passage does not say one way or the other whether you inherit a sinful nature from Adam. That's not the point of the passage. So to bring that here is to bring something from the outside and put it in. That is not his point. This is all about representation. 
who uh, what the consequences of of Adam's action are and the consequences of Jesus's action that's that's what's going on here so this is not about sinful nature this is not about the quote-unquote original sin unless you're talking about the act of the original sin which Adam committed which brought death to everybody um, does that make sense Jordan that's a very important question because this is a text that is used to say that we're all born sinners and that's that's beside the point in fact that ruins the point uh, just like saying that Adam somehow introduced sin to mankind and man all followed suit and sinned and therefore we're all going to die because we all committed actual sins. That ruins the point because that would then mean the reason we get eternal life is because we all do our own acts of righteousness and we earn uh, eternal life because of our acts of righteousness. See that people, people want to uh, just pick one side of the parallel. You can't do that. The whole point is the parallel. If your sin is what leads to your death, then the parallel language of the whole argument would necessarily lead to the place where your righteousness leads to eternal life. In which case Jesus didn't need to die and that defies the entire point. Teresa says, this passage says, I'm declared a sinner because of Adam's one sin, but now declared righteous because of Christ. Yes, and that being declared a sinner, you are going to die physically. And because you were declared righteous because of Christ, you are going to come back from the dead. Uh, Jordan suggests, Lon says, is there any scripture that indicates where our propensity to sin arises from not in Adam? Uh, we're not going there today. Jordan, it makes sense. Only confusing because of my presuppositions. Yep. And that's what I'm trying to get us to separate uh, and stick to the point. Because Paul's, he so wants them to understand death is not the end. I don't know. It seems like that's not a big deal to us today. Uh, is it because we have just, in Christian circles, been raised with the understanding that death is not the end? But you realize when you read the Old Testament, there's very little about life after death. The biggest concern was dying, going to Sheol, going to be with the fathers. That's That's what was the concern and there just isn't very much talk in the old testament about about resurrection life about life after death any of that so for the first century especially those who are being influenced so much by the jews paul is saying this is a big deal it's like i was thinking about this in the shower this morning i don't know if this is going to be a helpful illustration but because so we're all swimming in the ocean and because of Adam, eventually, we're all going to tire out and drown. Some are going to get eaten by sharks. Some are going to have a heart attack in the middle of the water. <laughs> Some are going to swim for a long, long time. But eventually, we're all just going to give out and drown. That's, that's how it is because of Adam. And Paul's point through this whole section is because of Jesus you're going to be saved out 
of the ocean and brought back to life. And this is why I made such a big deal the other day. You're not spared from drowning. You're going to drown because of Adam. But you're going to be raised out of the ocean to live because of Christ. And that's the hope that, that Paul holds out. I don't know if that help, helps, but that was just on my mind earlier. Edgar says he's got it now ready for the next paper. Excellent. I'll be sure to make you write a paper on a, a nuance of this. It'll be hard. Uh, Teresa says it's so hard to read without presuppositions. Yeah, isn't, isn't that the truth? Peter says, I think we are sort of in agreement based on Genesis 3. I see death happening because of being banned from the tree of life. Uh, well, Paul certainly is not making that point here. He's saying death is happening because of Adam. Um, so if, if, if you will, if you want to argue that we, we were banned from the tree of life and destined to sin, uh, it's still, I think you're, you're going beyond the text. Um, maybe, but Paul doesn't seem to need to bring that into this. Jordan says, all of my dispensational friends are too busy looking for an antichrist to think about death. <laughs> yeah, could be. All right, we'll call it there for the day. Uh, we will spend a little bit more time here because uh, tomorrow because he's going to set up uh, what's coming in the next several chapters, which will be crucial for understanding chapters 6 and 7. So stick around, come back tomorrow, and we will uh, wrap up chapter 5. Have a great day. We'll see you then. Take care.